It's time to think bigger. Elias Pedersen scores! And think bolder. Matthew Kachuk, what a goal! This is Rintoul and Sermon. Another chance, great save by Markstrom. There is shot be bad, great save by Timko. On the Sportsnet Radio Network. What is up? Welcome to Rintoul and Sermon. Vic Mazar and Jamie Dodd continuing to fill in this week. Always appreciate when uh, you interact with the show. 960, 960, and 650, 650. Bick Nazar and Jamie Dodd. Jamie, how's it going? I'm just catching my breath still, Bick, from the uh, the free Ooh. agent frenzy that went down. That was a true, a true frenzy. If anyone thought, you know, lingering pandemic effects, flat cap, if anyone thought that was going to keep NHL general managers in check, you are sorely mistaken, sorely mistaken. That was a legitimate frenzy yesterday. Yeah, um, and look, supply and demand dictates these things, and you want to spend, you want to be competitive, but $785 million uh, in total spent yesterday, which is uh, a massive amount, uh, considering, yeah, for exactly what you're talking about. You know, where was this depressed market that we thought the finances were going to play a huge hand in, but still a lot of money was still handed out yesterday. We'll get into a lot of it uh, throughout the course of the day. Uh, we'll talk to uh, a few people. John Morosi will join us at 9.30. Frank Saravelli at 10.30. Uh, Stephen Lung from Sportsnet, the NBA editor. Uh, it is NBA draft day as well. Uh, he'll join us at 11 o'clock. Harmon Dial at noon when we're back on Sportsnet 650. Uh, but yesterday, and you know, well, obviously a lot was spent in Vancouver, Vancouver. Uh, a lot of signings were made, not necessarily a lot of money necessarily, just a ton of signings. Yeah. Uh, but you know, when you compare these two teams, Calgary and Vancouver, you think how they did to start the free agency or what it felt like at least. And in thinking about Calgary, you know, the other day we were talking about identity uh, and them trying to craft one out uh, this upcoming season. I kind of felt like what Calgary did yesterday was putting the final touches of, like, a job interview. Okay, think of, like, your first big job interview. Maybe it was the one when you got hired here in Sportsnet. Or or your first big speech in front of a crowd or something like that. You do a lot of practice before you do the real thing. Because you want to show who you really are. You want to get it fine-tuned. And when you're doing it for that job you want, you, you want to prepare like crazy and think of every question that might get lobbed your way. And as soon as it comes, you practice and practice. You do it in front of the mirror. You, you walk around the living room. You pace and you practice every speech you're going to do. And that moment comes, you're ready. And I feel like the last few seasons for Calgary, searching for an identity despite a lot of talent being there, that to me was now practice. That was them getting ready for the job interview, which is coming up this upcoming season. Because you go after the players that they did, and you think in the mold of what they are trying to create. Remember, everything is under the mold of Daryl Sutter. And that makes a lot of sense. And now they see Coleman come in. And we can get into the contract details if it was a a smart investment. I'm just talking with the players now on the roster. Zadorov comes in. And you think of the mentality that's trying to get instilled. I looked at those moves yesterday, and I thought, that's them preparing themselves for the job interview. And that's and that's coming up this season. We can all see the talent. We can all see and, and have seen the missed potential 
over the past couple of seasons. But this upcoming season, I'm very intrigued, and I'm, I'm ready to be impressed by Calgary uh, next season because I thought they got players, whether or not you agree with the contracts and whatnot, they got players that fit like what they're trying to do, and they're trying to be themselves again. We talked a lot earlier in the week, Bic, about wondering what this Calgary Flames identity team would be. And, and just, as you say, for so many of the past few seasons, so much of the past few seasons, they've looked like a team searching for an identity. And it's clear now. I mean, we already knew this after finishing last year with Daryl Sutter behind the bench. But they want to remake themselves in Daryl Sutter's image. And they did that. That was the clear goal of everything, pretty much, that Calgary did yesterday. Obviously, Zadarov, as you mentioned, coming over, big, physical, mean, nasty defenseman from Chicago. They bring in Trevor Lewis, who has a history of playing with Daryl Sutter down in L.A., winning cups with him. And then you go out and you sign Blake Coleman, who was probably the most Daryl Sutter-esque player available to them on the market. And I have questions about the length and the term of that deal, no doubt about it. But I also know that Blake Coleman's an extremely effective player, right? And if, if you're just stacking up the Flames versus the Canucks and what they accomplished yesterday, I mean, the best player that either team acquired is clearly Blake Coleman for me. Again, questions about the deal. You should be striving to find those guys cheaper like Tampa Bay did for sure. But next season, Blake Coleman is going to have a major impact on that team. And he fits exactly what they want their identity to be, right? He is that quintessential hard skill player, can do pretty much anything you ask him, can play with pretty much anybody you ask him to play with. He is going to be a perfect fit for Calgary. Again, concerns down the line about the term and the money. Yes, next year, that's a major addition for them. Well, the thing is, they had some money to spend, right? Especially if you intend to, to have a little changeover as well uh, with a, a Goudreau or a Monahan coming going out. If, if that's something that's on the horizon, we'll throw that by Frank Saravelli at 1030. Uh, they had a little bit of money to spend. And also, you got to think of you know, where is Daryl Sutter in his timeline of competing? Is it two years from now or is it, hey, we got to get going now? You know how, how how much of a stomach does he have for a you know long arduous rebuilding process? So I, I do look at Blake Coleman and think, okay, you had you had a bit of money to spend. Is the term lengthy? Absolutely, but he he impacts your team now, and th- and this is what this team needs. It, it's giving these guys an honest effort here, and and for what you mentioned, it's it fits the mold of Daryl Sutter. It just it, it it makes so much sense and. I think this team's going to be very competitive. Now, you know, we, we can debate if they make the playoffs or nothing, but they are or not. But they are going to be a very tough out. They still need to solve a couple of things on the back end. You know, it's yeah. going to be tough to to replace Mark Giordano, obviously. But just kind of going through what they did, I, I think I, I, I review it and I feel like the pieces made a lot of sense to bring in. Yeah, well, the Coleman one specifically, right? And the other ones are kind of more depth pieces. You're not expecting them to have as much of an impact but yes the Coleman one is basically a perfect fit for what they're trying to do in the short term and to your point you know it is a short-term move Daryl Sutter doesn't want to be invested in a long-term rebuilding project in Calgary he was very clear about that when he joined the team in the middle of last season right he's coach he wants to coach in the NHL for the chance to win a Stanley Cup and he doesn't want that to be five or six years down the road he wants that to be in the near term and then you look at the general manager Brad Treliving I mean realistically 
how much rope does he have left? You know, he has, mm-hmm. he's got to hire a bunch of coaches. Yeah, there's been extenuating circumstances behind some of those coaching changes. But, again, it always comes down to, do you think he's going to get to hire the next coach after Daryl Sutter? Probably not, right? So his job security is on the line with the success of Daryl Sutter in Calgary. So Bradford Living really had to go out and bring in players who are going to fit that Daryl Sutter mold, who are going to help the team next year. And not to mention... This is going to be the first training camp for Daryl Sutter, right? This is your chance to start the season with your identity. There's no upheaval. There's no, hey, let's let's patch it up as we go along in the middle of March and, and we'll see what we can do. This is, hey, from game one, this is who we're going to be. This is the expectation the first day into training camp. This is who we are. So building from scratch, I think, is going to be a big element for the Calgary Frames. As for the Vancouver Canucks, how it felt, you know, when you were a kid, or actually, you know, maybe you still do this, and, and you're flipping the channels, and that movie is always on on the same channel. It, it, it's like TBS, and it's like 10 yeah, things I hate yeah, about yeah. you or something like that. It's every time, you're like, I feel like every time I turn on this channel, this movie is playing. And, you know, you, you go away, and you come back, and you're like, really? They're, re- they're rerunning the net with Sandra Bullock all over again? Like, what is happening? And every time... It feels like the same thing. Now, you might enjoy it. It might be, you know, a guilty pleasure movie, but it's always playing the same thing. And we've gone down this road many, many times before. Tucker Pullman gets a four-year contract, and it looks fairly similar to Jay Beagle's contract from many years before. It looks similar to Sam Gagne getting a three-year deal. It looks similar to... Antoine Roussel, Michael Furlitt, any number of contracts we've seen signed as term UFAs. And it's like, oh, I, I, I saw this on the same channel earlier last week. I can't believe they're playing How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days again. I, I, I just can't believe it. Now, look, it can work. I think the fit is a lot better. And, again, I enjoy all those movies. I like checking them out. But uh, it, it felt awfully similar, and it felt like uh, I was watching it all over again. It's, uh, I feel like I should already start preparing for the, you know, Tucker Pullman buyout or trade him with salary retention discourse in 2023 or 2024, right? Like, isn't that kind of what it feels like? To your point, we've been down this road before where you give out term to guys who have not established themselves really as impact players in the league who figure to slot in lower down in your lineup it's a lot of risk and and people you know we, we were kind of going back and forth with the listeners on 650 about this yesterday Beck. and yeah of course there is some upside here with Tucker Pullman it's mm-hmm. not guaranteed to not work out he's a decent player he can help your team of course all of those things are true but you also have to weight the probabilities and and weight the chances of it going poorly and Again, those chances are pretty high, and we've seen it play out. It's it's a, it's a situation that we are very, very familiar with here in Vancouver. When you gamble and give long-term contracts to players who should be at the bottom of your roster, if you're going to be a, a very good contending team, that can really come back to bite you in a hurry. 
Beck Nazar, Jamie Dodd, you got your thoughts on uh, what they did in free agency, either the Flames or the Vancouver Canucks, 960-960 or 650-650. Ned and Lethbridge, Flames missed the playoffs in 2002, and Sutter took over in the 0-4 run the following season. Hopefully the same for 21-22. That's a great show uh, from Ned in Lethbridge, 650-650. A couple of thoughts coming in. Uh, It's big. It's not how to lose a guy in ten days. It's how to lose cap flexibility for six seasons. <laughs> I like this from Marcus and Gibson's too. Maybe they brought in Pullman to package him in a contract dump deal with OEL in three years. <laughs> maybe, oh, maybe you you can repurpose your uh, your fantastic Godfather, uh, yeah, whatever we want to call it, montage that you made for for them moving Erickson and Beagle and Roussel all in the same deal. Yeah. Hey. Might have the, the next GM might have to take care of family business. Uh, should yes. it all go yeah. awry? Uh, elsewhere in the NHL, though, uh, you know, instead of winners and losers, we'll do uh, impressed and disappointed. Uh, who impressed you yesterday, Jamie? Well, I got to go first of all to the New Jersey Devils because mm-hmm. first of all, anytime you get the number one, I think the best available player in free agency, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Now, sometimes that means that you just drastically overbid everyone else sure. for that player. But I don't think that's really the case here. I think Dougie Hamilton is still undervalued around the league. And, you know, we talked to Nick Kotsunika about this yesterday, and I kind of asked him, are you surprised there hasn't been more of a bidding war for his services? And, you know, I thought he made a great point, which is that teams just aren't, for whatever reason, teams around the NHL aren't that interested in him. So New Jersey did have to pay a steep price, but if you look at what they're getting – I mean, I think this is one of the rare big money free agents free agency deals that has a good chance of being a, a value contract for New Jersey. So I, I like that they got the best player available. They didn't have to take on a horrendous amount of risk in signing it. There's always risk when you when you hand out a contract like that. But mm-hmm. this of those types of deals, this one has a better than normal chance of working out. And the other thing I like is you know, it's so easy to accumulate cap space if you have no expectations of winning. And we're so quick to applaud teams that do accumulate cap space. I mean, look how many plaudits Steve Eiserman has got in Detroit, right? For just amassing all of this cap space in his time there. Arizona is starting to carve it out. I mean, I know they're taking some on, but then it'll get off the books and they'll have a whole bunch to work with. Seattle, when, when everyone was doubting Seattle, I know we'll talk about them later in the show, but when everyone was doubting Seattle after the expansion draft, people were saying, well, but look at all the cap space they have. It's one thing to accrue that cap space, but I have a lot of respect for the teams that are then willing to go out and not just, you know, oh, well, we'll we'll take your bad contract for a second round pick, but go out and actually spend it on players who are going to help you win, right? That's what New Jersey did. That's why I'm impressed with them. They actually went out and used their cap space, used their biggest resource to acquire an impact player. And look, they're not going to be Stanley Cup contenders next season, but at least they're trying. At least they're trying to take that step forward. So many teams these days are cautious about doing that. They don't want to do anything that's going to tie up future cap space. But look, eventually you have to have good players on your team. New Jersey got the best one on the market yesterday, so they are number one on my impress list. What blows me away, too, is, you know, obviously money is a big factor in, in, in him signing there. Uh, it's hard to say no to, to, to that amount, but New Jersey's not exactly a sexy destination 
right now. It's still a team going nope. through the processes of of building this all back up. You know, they've drafted his year. They've drafted Jack Hughes. They're a team that feels like they're on the rise, but, you know, it could it could have just as easily gone the, the Buffalo way, a team that's perpetually spinning their wheels and, you know, doesn't really get back onto the right track. They, they traded out guys that are now having success, obviously with Coleman, right? It just, it, it felt like they were in this perpetual rebuild and, for a player that's 28, obviously money plays a factor in this, but it, it's kind of a signal of intent of, hey, we we are here now. Like we're we're making the improvements and we're ready to be kind of a a, a team that gets respected once again when we're on the ice because it, it's been a it's been a a hot minute for the Devils to to kind of be in the national conscience uh, across the NHL. And the thing is, again, often when when a team like that, like you're describing, that is just desperate to get back to being relevant, when they feel pressure to make big moves, it can so often go sideways, right? Because you mm-hmm. do have to overpay to get players there. And you do try to expedite the process and get a little bit ahead of yourselves and it can backfire. But again, because of the overall lack of interest in Dougie Hamilton... I don't think they really had to do that. I think they got mm-hmm. a good deal. You get Dougie Hamilton at that price, the guy who's going to put 50 points up for you pretty much year in, year out, quarterback your top power play very effectively, you feel pretty good about that. Yeah, they, like, they made the final in 2012, and they've been to the playoffs once since then. Like It, it has been a dark decade for New Jersey, and, and for them to splash yesterday and get a big-name signing, that's uh, pretty impressive. I'm, I'm going to go with Montreal as well. I know we've talked about them a lot because of the draft pick and whatnot, uh, but, you know, Savard and Mike Hoffman, I do look at as two, you know, I, I thought kind of value deal despite, you know, four- and three-year term given out, and, and they spent, you know, $28 million. I just thought, you know, those two guys fit perfect roles for what they need. You know, one thing Montreal needed, it was very evident, was – kind of just a game breaker. And here's another one shot scorer kind of fits in that Caulfield mold as well. They needed just a couple of more guys like this. And I, I've always been a big fan of Mike Hoffman's game. We can talk about the off ice stuff. I know, but the, the, the actual ability on the ice to me, one of the better shots in the league, one of the quickest shots in the league fits for what they need. And obviously David Savard, uh, you know, again, one of the other premier defensive D men that were going to be available and it pay, paying a song for him three three point five million dollars over four years uh it, it, he, he might not age well but that's still fairly low impact for a guy that was expected to get a pretty nice payday see i don't mind the savard deal yeah there's risk because of his age but hoffman i i don't know i don't see the fit like you do in montreal and i'm concerned about the decline in hoffman's game as well i think that one could really age poorly in a hurry. I mean, if I was a team trying to get Hoffman, I'd be looking at, you know, one year, two year, that type of thing. I just look at his fit with Montreal. I mean, what did we see made them successful in the playoffs, right? It was the overall team speed, the ability to be tenacious on the forecheck. He doesn't really fit into that. He's more of that stationary shooter, as you're describing. Yeah, could they use more high-end uh, offensive unfair. talent? I think that's unfair. Like, he, he is a skater. Again, I, I there are defensive questions, you know, forechecking and, and overall defensive play. But I think you're very insulated in that system there of, of what everything else is built around that team. You've got a lot of defensive protection. That I wouldn't say he's lazy or anything like that, but if you put in a certain amount of effort, which Mike Hoffman can and usually does, you're going to get protected around you. And then, then your offensive production can come from that. 
But if you're going to bring in a player who basically, okay, he can't do what we want on the defensive end, but his offensive skill justifies that and everyone else can compensate compensate for it on the defensive end, that's fine. I can understand that. I'm just not sure Hoffman's still there as an offensive player to justify that, to justify basically adjusting your system for that player. So that well, one makes me nervous. I, I don't see the fit. He, he was a 30-goal scorer. Well, he scored 29 two seasons ago before the stoppage. Uh, now, last year in St. Louis, look, I, I think by and large across the league, um, I'm willing to suspend a lot of evaluation over what happened in a COVID year or in a one-year deal in a new city and all this sort of stuff. We, we've extended that benefit to a lot of teams and a lot of players. I'm willing to extend it to a guy who scored 17 and 52 last year. I do see a 30-goal scorer, and that is something Montreal sorely needed. And to me, as far as impressed, I walked away impressed from what they did. I, I will take the under on 30 goals for Mike Hoffman, for sure, uh, for this upcoming season. Uh, what about the other uh, the, uh, the flip side? Anybody disappointed you? I don't know about disappointed, confused maybe, the Boston all right, Bruins. All right. all right, we can Just because I, I like a lot. Like, Boston was very, very busy. I mean, they handed out a lot of money to a lot of different guys, and I like a lot of the players. I like Eric Halla. I like Thomas Nosek. I think that was an interesting pickup uh, from Vegas. I really like Mike Riley. I thought that was one of the better value deals uh, on defense that was signed yesterday where there weren't a lot of those. But then you also look, you know, Nick Foligno got two years, 3.8 million. Derek Forbort got three years at 3 million. And then the really confusing one for me was Linus Olmark getting four years at $5 million per season. I, I just don't think he's given the goalie market around the league. I, I don't think he's established that level of performance to justify that kind of deal. So I, I thought it was a real mixed bag and, it probably will help Boston for next year. They will probably improve, even though they do have some other questions. I know with David Krejci, who's a UFA, but it's just kind of, man, okay, I like a lot of these players, but the money doesn't always make sense. And the combination of the players didn't really make a ton of sense to me either. What's interesting too about uh, Boston is they've been so good in recent years, flushing guys from their you know, prospect development into the the big club, and they haven't needed to dip into free agency to to spend a lot of money and bring in a lot of body uh, bodies. And you know, going at the end of last season before they traded for Taylor Hall, I was looking at this team and I was thinking this might be the end of the run for this Boston core because it's looking really bare. And they bring in Taylor Hall. Obviously, they have a little bit of success and think still, you know, couldn't paper over enough of the, the the holes. And then to go spend this money, you know, Nick Foligno's 33 years old. This is not a young player. You know, Derek Forbert, Thomas Nosek, they're in their late 20s. It, it, it just felt like how many of these trade or moves are going to move the needle? I think they stabilized maybe some performance, but how many of these guys are moving the needle? Uh, as well. And, and that's my question. I just kind of feel like we're going to see more of the same from Boston. Going to be a tough out, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, I, I, like, did this help them give Marchand and Bergeron another chance at winning a Stanley Cup? That's my question. Yeah, and this text comes in. They are in the last part of their competitive window, so the Bruins are just squeezing everything they can yeah. out of the Bergeron, Krug, and Marchand era. And I do think their forward group in particular will be better than it was last year. Like, I like Nosek. I like Hala a lot. Foligno, I think, can still help them, even though, you know, we know where he is in his career. It's just, yeah, the money given out and the volume of it was surprising to me. 650, 650, 960, 960. Keep the comments coming in. 
Uh, we'll continue to react with John Morosi from the NHL and MLB Network. MLB trade deadline going down tomorrow as well. Uh, Bick Nazar and Jamie Dodd filling in for Scott and Karen on Rintoul and Sermon. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. Welcome back to Rintoul and Sermon. Bick Nazar, Jamie Dodd filling in for the rest of the week. If you want your reaction? 650, 650, 960, 960 as well. Uh, this one unsigned in the 960 inbox. I think the Coleman signing is better than everyone thinks. He's only played uh, just over 300 games. It's not like he's approaching 800, like a lot of bad contracts signed in 2016. Good skater and definitely has some years left, and he will score 20 for the first three years. And this one uh, unsigned as well. I can picture Don Sweeney squeezing the juice uh, over a mangled, wrinkled Bergeron down as hard as he can and squeeze out any last, last drop that he can. Liking the juicer references here. The imagery there is, is stark. <laughs> what appliance would you use for your roster? <laughs> this team yeah. is a toaster. That's good. That's good. Keep the thoughts coming in. We'll talk to uh, John Morosi. Get his thoughts and his impressions uh, of what happened uh, over uh, the start of NHL free agency and teeing up MLB trade deadline. What's going on? The the Canucks are like an, an oven that you always have to cook things for longer than you thought. You know, because they're always getting out that extra term. You're like the recipe says twenty minutes, but man, it's not quite done. Better throw it in for another ten more minutes. My broil doesn't work too well. I've got to always leave yeah. it in for an extra two minutes. That is great. Six fifty, six fifty. Uh, this one, unsigned. Are Forbert and Pullman similar in your eyes? Um, no, I'd probably give the edge to Pullman in that scenario. I don't know. I, I'm not really a big Forbert. Yeah, guy. I mean, s- similar, sure. Yeah, but I would probably go, I would lean uh, Pullman as well. But just similar doesn't mean identical. Yeah, I would say they're similar players. Is uh, Forbert's a little bit bigger, is he not? I, I feel like Forbert is, yeah. Yeah, he's like 6'4", some, somewhere in that yeah. range. So, yeah. yeah, slightly bigger body. I, I would say uh, more uh, more ferocious a little bit, too. Uh, yeah. I, I would say Pullman's got a bit more of a, a cooler head and, and maybe a better, bit better defensive game as well. Yeah, and, and I mean, the big difference there, obviously, is four boards, a left shot. Uh, Pullman's yeah. a right shot, and yeah, that obviously the Canucks were heavy, heavy heavily interested in right shot defensemen. Uh, Bick Nazar, Jamie Dodd, we'll talk to John Morosi in just a couple of seconds. I wanted to get to another team that uh, I was disappointed by or confused by. Uh, you know, the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, you know, they, they had some space to try to make some moves uh, if they so wanted to. And I, I get there in a, in a transition time to, to make a, a splash. But, you know, for what we were talking about with New Jersey of, hey, here's a team that, you know, the, the brand isn't necessarily as strong. They haven't had a lot of success in recent memory. Uh, I'm just going to curious like what exactly the Anaheim Ducks are doing they got this great goaltender in John Gibson he's 28 years old at some point you got to start getting to the stage of getting competitive again you know it's similar to Calgary to be honest it's, it's Jacob Markstrom's a certain age and you've got him extended to these you know six years five more seasons you've got to start to compete because you've got you know high level goaltending for Anaheim, their big move yesterday was bringing back Ryan Getzlaff, and then they kind of just put their feet up. I just, you know, are we waiting for a Jack Eichel trade? Like, what exactly is the snare that the Anaheim Ducks are uh, uh, putting forward? I- I'm a bit confused by them. 
Well, I'm telling you, it, it's it's a lot easier to accumulate cap space than it is to turn it into a contending roster, right? And and the Ducks are one of the teams that find themselves in that position. It's you know, there's there's not there's not always just a boatload of high end impact free agents that you can go out and scoop up with your cap space. I, I like the way you say that. I, I always say deconstructing is a lot easier, or destructing is a lot easier than constructing, yep. right? And uh, yeah, it, it kind of feels like they're destructing right now. Let's talk to John Morosi, NHL and MLB Network. Uh, you see him on those networks, uh, reporter and host uh, there. Uh, John, how are you? Vic and Jamie, I am outstanding. Thanks for having me on the show today. Really appreciate it. For sure. What did you think of uh, yesterday's signing seasons uh, in the NHL? Well, I, I appreciate the question. Uh, of course, it's been, a, as you mentioned, a very busy week in both baseball and hockey. I was, uh, I tell you what, the, the term that Deneau got, I think, was one of the, the big standout contracts that I saw there, and, and uh, maybe a little more than what we had expected. Uh, and so that, 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 to me, was probably the, the one that really caught my attention, and the Habs having to now probably rework their, some of their forward lines as a result of losing their, their first-line center this season, who, of course, in the playoffs – wasn't scoring a lot, but was tremendous in a shutdown role. So I think that that to me was a was a real standout move. And then I think the the extension, obviously, Landis Gog staying in Colorado, there had been some talk, uh, obviously, that he was going to go to market, but for him to stay was, uh, I, I think, a pretty big statement by him and the Avalanche. And then and then Dougie Hamilton going to New Jersey. I think that was the the big prize of the day in, in so many ways. And and you think about New Jersey, and and you draft Luke Hughes, you sign you sign Dougie Hamilton. It really uh, gives you a lot of hope for the for the near term and the future. I think it's going to be. A very exciting team to watch play the next little while and i think overall you have to like some of the moves the canucks made not just uh, yesterday but i think going back with, with the trade for ekman larson i think that was a very very good move and and one that sets them up pretty well for next season john i, I want to get into the major league baseball trade deadline with you here in just a second but it's funny i know you're plugged into both sports normally we have about a month gap between nhl free agency and the Major League Baseball trade deadline. This, this year we only have two days. Have you been able to – I mean, how, how exhausted are you basically having to keep up with <laughs> feel, all of this so news I, I in this sort great. of span? Uh, you know, it was, it was a fun draft uh, week last week leading up to it. That was really my focus last week. Uh, and, of course, spending the night with the, with the Hughes family, which was a really, on, really a big honor for me to be there and, and watch the reactions of the, the brothers as Luke was picked. Uh, and then yesterday was interesting. I, I did my, my morning MLB Network show – and then I drove over to uh, where the Detroit Tigers uh, studio is for the for their pregame show on on Bally Sports Detroit. So I did that show, and then I actually swung through. It was great. This is why I love living in Michigan. I, I do the show in Southfield. I was driving along 275. I stopped off at, at the USA Hockey Arena to watch the U.S. Uh, playing in the the World Junior Summer Showcase there. So I stopped in, said hello to some people, watched uh, probably a period and a half of that game, and then kept driving home. So it was it was great. There was news zipping back. Back and forth, uh, it was pretty amazing. Really, my, my phone was buzzing with, with updates on both sports. I saw uh, Mel Pearson, of course, the great coach at the University of Michigan. He was there. He's excited about his group. He's got Ken Johnson, as you well know, from the Vancouver area uh, on his team, the fifth overall pick there to Columbus. So it was great. It was, just, it was a great baseball hockey day for me, and, and uh, you're right. It's, it's probably, let's hope, it never happens quite like this again yeah. because obviously the reason for it wasn't great, but uh, it's made for a very exciting week for sure. Yeah, it's been pretty entertaining. I agree with you, though. I, I'm down to get it back to the normal schedule next year for sure. Uh, lots of deals already going down ahead of the trade deadline tomorrow in Major League Baseball. Today, not that long ago, the Jays go out and make a deal. 
getting Brad Hand from Washington, reliever. Obviously, he's had very productive seasons in the past. He's a free agent at the end of the year. What do you make of this deal for the Jays? Good move. I think that for the Jays, it shows how serious they are about trying to make the playoffs this year and how serious they are about addressing what's been a real issue for them uh, during the course of this season, which is consistency at the end of the bullpen, at the end of the ballgame. And it's not just the closer's role. Certainly you would expect Hand to have that role with the Jays or at least share it. But uh, this gives them a key lefty down the stretch. And whenever you acquire a rental reliever, it shows to the industry and to your fans that you're serious about winning and making the playoffs this year. Now, the Jays have sort of been treading water the last 10 days or so. Uh, I would have hoped to see them come out with a little bit more momentum in the second half. Um, We know what a historic season Vlad is having. But I I think one of the really key points and and takeaways here is that the Jays realize that while, yes, the, the core of this team is young, and Vlad is just beginning his prime. And, and Bo Bichette has been a wonderful player this year. And Teoscar Hernandez is, is going to still be a great player for them for years to come. Is that when you consider Marcus Simeon's a free agent after this season and Robbie Ray is a free agent after this season, um, the, the rotation overall might turn over a little bit after this year. This is actually one of their most important and best opportunities to win. I mean, you've, you've got arguably the best hitter in the planet right now in Vlad Jr., and when you're having that level of production, you have to capitalize on it. So I, I think it's, it's a situation where the Jays are recognizing that, and I would hope from the standpoint of their fans – that they're not done yet. I think that maybe one more starter would be appropriate, uh, maybe even one more bat as well. But I think this, to me, should not be the last move they make before 4 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. Well, the question becomes, as you mentioned, okay, there's a couple of guys at a free agency, but also like the long runway this team has to be competitive because of how young this team is. What level of investment into into this season are you willing to absorb? And what level of risk are you saying, hey, we can't you know, diminish and, and completely uh, annihilate the pool of prospects we got coming up here? Right. No, it's a fair question. A couple things. Number one, the, the price for – for hand, I think, was reasonable because the Jays actually have some pretty good catching depth, whether it's Alejandro Kirk, uh, McGuire has been better this season, Jansen's been solid defensively, so they could trade Adams and feel pretty good about it, where their overall depth is. And actually, their, their infield depth is very strong. And to me, that's the piece that you would trade to get the controllable pitcher. For example, with, with Jose Barrios in Minnesota. If you can find a way to get Barrios, I am, I am okay with trading um, uh, Jordan Groshans, uh, maybe even an Austin Martin um, or an Otto Lopez, depending on how you, uh, how you view those options, or Relvis Martinez has been very good this year. One of those names I think you can trade because you look at your major league infield and you've got Vlad, you have Bichette, you have Biggio, you have a lot of, of young players on the infield where you're not going to need all of those guys to play there long term. Now, Martin can play some outfield, which is one reason why I, I would really be reluctant to give him up. But the, the price tag for hand was reasonable. It was a, it was a good trade uh, from the Jays' standpoint. They, they did not give up too much. They protected their depth so that way I believe they can make at least one more major deal and then still come back and have some pieces to move and to work with here for the future. And, and you mentioned potentially they'd be interested in a, a member of the starting rotation as well. John, do you have any inkling of which player they might be targeting to shore up the rotation? 
I think it's Barrios for me is, is the one that, that I would say is a controllable piece. The other one that's, that's of the, the, the rental area is, is John Gray with Colorado. That, that to me is, is a guy that I would say uh, is not getting talked about nearly enough. Someone who is ha- having probably the best year of his career uh, by, by a number of different measures and is someone who's a free agent after the year is over, uh, has been able to pitch at a very hitter-friendly atmosphere. So I would say if it's not going to be Scherzer, and I would doubt that it's going to be Scherzer. I, I don't think it's going to be Max. I, the, the ideal guy is Berrios because he's under control for next year, but if you can't get him and it's more of a reasonable price tag, I would say John Gray of Colorado is a name to watch very, very carefully. You could also look at a Michael Pineda with, with Minnesota, maybe even a Kenta Maeda as well with, with the Twins, but I, I think those are the right teams that we're talking about here. The, the Twins uh, on either, obviously you would hope, Berrios, Maeda, uh, Pineda, and then you go with, with Colorado and, and a name like John Gray. I think those are probably the names that I would mention most notably, and it's going to be very interesting to see how things play out here with uh, only about 24 hours to go. John Morosi joining us from NHL and MLB Network. I, I'm curious, I feel like I'm sensing a theme a bit uh, as well across the, the MLB deadline as, you know, it, obviously you want to plug your holes at this time, but it does feel like teams are trying to strengthen strength as well. And I look at the Yankees yesterday, they go get Gallo, and I'm thinking, all right, you got some heavy hitters in that middle of the lineup. How, how much are teams approaching this as, hey, we can just outscore our problems? Well, uh, that's a great point, and a couple things there. I mean, number one, with respect to the Yankees, they really needed some, some lefty power. Uh, this is a team that uh, you think historically we, we, we associate the Yankees with Ruth and Gehrig and Reggie Jackson and, and all, all the greats and all these left-handed power hitters, but they didn't have that this year. They haven't had that for a while, actually. And so while they've got Judge, uh, that's, it's been all from the right side this year. And, in fact, this year Gallo has hit more home runs then all lefty hitters for the Yankees combined, which is an amazing stat to, to be able to point out. So I think you're right that the teams have been looking to augment their, their, own, their own strengths. I think the Padres, you would say, they, they have checked in on – they had checked in on Gallo before he was traded. Um, you look at a club – Probably, you know, in addition to the Yankees, the, the Jays still looking for, for power, and we had even heard about them looking at Joey Gallo as well at different points. So I think you're right that you're seeing teams that are, that are looking to augment where they're already strong. The Dodgers probably fit that description too. But the Padres, for me, in looking at the, the most motivated buyers right now, they're a team that their rotation has really struggled the last month plus. And obviously we can say uh, this has been during the time where MLB has been cracking down on the substance uh, substances on the ball, uh, and that maybe is part of the reason why. But that to me is, is a team in, in the Padres who has to take a real serious look at their, their pitching plan and realize that maybe um, they, they need to change up some of the players and some of the arms there because they just have not had that same level of success uh, since the crackdown began. So they're one team I'm watching very carefully to, to go with maybe an arm who has been a little less susceptible to, to the new regulations, you would say, around baseball. So it's a, it's a very dynamic deadline for that reason, that, that name-brand pitchers who were very good in the past in some cases have not been the last month or so, and you have to adjust to that new reality. John, here in our neck of the woods, uh, I know the Seattle Mariners raised a lot of eyebrows in that market when they made the trade with Houston earlier in the week. There was reporting that a lot of the players weren't happy with that deal. And you just look at the standings. They don't have a great run differential, but they are still hanging around uh, in the wild card race. But I've also seen reports that 
you know, they might be interested in going out and adding some talent this week as well, perhaps pursuing a guy like Barrios from Minnesota. It kind of leaves me scratching my head. What do you make of just the Mariners situation overall right now? Well, I am similarly flummoxed by where things stand <laughs> with Seattle. The the Graveman deal was not popular, and I, I wonder if, if the Mariners' front office underrated the clubhouse ramifications of that deal, and if in general there's not enough acknowledgement of that part of the game given by management. Uh, and this is not just a Mariner problem. I think it's a, it's a large scale where, where I think sometimes executives make a choice without really considering the, the human impact of it and i think that's been the case with the mariners i'm willing to give depoto a little bit of time and say listen he basically said that things are going to start making sense by the time the deadline has passed and they've had a chance to make some more moves we'll see time is short i mean they they brought in tyler anderson hours after the graveman deal which was good he's a rental starter shows that they're serious about winning but i i really think for them it's an important thing to see a real name player, whether it's Berrios, whether it's a Trey Turner, uh, and of course Turner right now is on the COVID IL, and who knows uh, what that situation is going to look, look like here in the in the days and weeks ahead. But those are the kind of star level players with a degree of control on their contracts that would really be game changers for the Seattle Mariners. So, uh, like you, I was surprised. Like you, I'm a little skeptical. And I'll just have to wait and see how things uh, unfold. But I, I do think it's great. And by the way, I have to say, I, just, I love that, that Vancouver and, and, uh, and your great city has allegiances to, to both. Seattle and and Toronto in terms of the the, the ballparks and, and those those teams and watching them unfold because it was uh, interesting to be at a game in Buffalo earlier this year of course so close to the border and say you've got this great international matchup between Seattle and Toronto and uh, of course that was being played in, in in Buffalo but really excited for the <laughs> Jays to be going home uh, tomorrow it's gonna be a lot of fun yeah and uh, I know there's a lot of people here in Vancouver who who are excited for the next time the Jays can make the trip out to Seattle uh, yes. and the border will be open for that hopefully and just quickly on the Mariners John you know especially in that market we all know how much that team has struggled over the last two decades right, right. and, and I, my sense of it is right now you know they're struggling to find some legitimacy with the fans in that market if they don't follow the Graveman trade up with a bigger move and as you say land a legitimate name player is this the kind of thing that we could look back as a turning point and, you know, something that could end up shifting the direction of the franchise one way or another if it doesn't pan out? Well, it's a fair question, and uh, I think we have to see how the season ends. Um, you know, Scott Service, their their manager, has had a pretty tough task this year because he has had to handle, remember back in spring training, the comments by Kevin Mather, their, their then president, about service time and, and uh, really some disparaging comments about players in the team which were just not – appropriate and he resigned uh they've since hired a new president of baseball uh, business operations but interestingly the the president of baseball operations title is is separate and and that is not they don't really have one someone in that category right now which is interesting to me because perhaps they would look outside the the organization at some point to bring in a a president of baseball operations if they feel as though the rebuild is not moving at at a a fast enough pace. I think overall ownership there has been pleased with Jerry DePoto's work this year, but again, they'll they'll have to evaluate it as as time goes on and as the season unfolds. I have said before that Theo Epstein to, to Seattle if he's part of the, the the hierarchy of the organization and potentially part of the ownership group and has that equity, because he's talked about that being the job that would get him back into baseball at the club level would be part owner, really strong control of the of the club, 
and, and having a chance to build something. I, I do think Theo would be intrigued by, by that job if it were out there. And we just have to wait and see how this team plays the balance of the year. I, I, again, I think Jerry DePoto, you look at the farm system, is in tremendous shape. He's done a great job there. Uh, there actually are a lot of really positive storylines with this team um, that have evolved over the last couple of years. It's just a question of does ownership look at, at the, the way this season ends and say we think Jerry's the guy, or if things go sideways in the last two months, do we have to make a change? And I think that's where you might hear some really big names, whether it's Theo Epstein, Brian Cashman, a lot of uh, a lot of interesting people around the game would look at that Seattle job and, and all that the the city represents and everything the club represents and say it's going to be a prime opportunity to get that team back to the playoffs and and really take over a club that's in pretty good shape right now. Well, the, the, I guess I, I frame the question when it comes to the Mariners, similar to what I was asking about with the Jays. Like, at what point is it right to hit the accelerator on your "quote unquote" rebuild and you're ready right. to start competing? Because you know, when you compare the two timelines, I kind of feel like the Mariners are behind where the Jays are. It makes sense to me for the Jays to look at this and think, "Hey, man, we're we're clocking close to a plus 100 in in run differential." The Mariners are in the exact opposite. Is this the right time to hit the accelerator? Well, and that's a fair question. I, I do think Toronto right now is a better overall team than Seattle. Seattle does not have a Vlad Jr. They don't have a Bichette, really. Uh, They've got some good players, but they don't have in their prime game breakers. They don't have a Springer. They don't have a Teoscar either. I mean, I just think Toronto's a better team. And in Seattle... It's been a, a real interesting way that they've won games. You know, the, their bullpen's been pretty good, and they've been able to win all these one-run games, which is why it was so surprising that they traded Graveman away. And to your point, if, if Jerry DePoto turns and says to ownership, listen, I traded Graveman because I don't feel like this team is ready to beat the Astros in the AL West or ready to win a, a, a one-game playoff against the, the A's in the wild card, whatever it might be, and, and certainly as it relates to the division, I think that's probably a correct assessment. I, they're not better than Houston. They're just not. Houston's a better team. But can this team get back into a one-game wildcard scenario? This is where, interestingly, while Toronto's got the better team, Seattle has the greater impetus to, to compete and make a big deal because Seattle hasn't been in the playoffs in 20 years. And Toronto, they've seen those one-game wildcards. They know what that's like. They've been in those. Seattle hasn't, and they're the one team that when you look at it and say, well, what's the value of just making the playoffs? Well, for Seattle, there is value because they haven't been there. They haven't been there in 20 years. And so I think that's the one thing to keep in mind there is they, they, there is value in just, just ending the streak, just getting in the playoffs, getting that experience. And, and I think that might be the one thing that Jerry DePoto has undervalued a little bit is just that, that value of, of getting into the dance and what that means for your overall team's trajectory in the years to come. He is the great John Morosi. You can follow him on Twitter at John Morosi. John, thank you very much, and uh, nice talking to you again. We'll, we'll, we'll speak soon. My pleasure. I can't wait till I can visit your beautiful city again. Let's hope next season. I, I, I want to see Quinn Hughes on the ice. Now, now that I spent draft night at the Hughes <laughs> house, I have to see Quinn play in person again, which I, I'm excited to do. Can't wait, brother. Thanks a lot. Sounds great. All the best. Take care, guys. Thank you. John Morosi uh, joining us from the NHL and MLB Network. A lot to digest there. Uh, I'm curious how active uh, MLB trade deadline will be in comparison to what we saw yesterday uh, with the NHL free agency. And while we were talking to John, actually, uh, some breaking news. Corey Perry signed in Tampa Bay. Kind of was, it was rumored already, uh, but it's a two-year deal to land in Tampa Bay. And so... 
back-to-back Stanley Cup uh, appearances for Corey Perry. Why not two more? Well, I was going to say, are they are they worried that, you know, they're they're putting up the, the Pat Maroon streak against the Corey Perry streak, right? Because yeah. Corey Perry has lost in both of those finals. Are, is Tampa and, Bay worried that they're going to import that streak onto their team? Hey, by the way, put some respect on the, on the Shen streak as well. That's true. That's true. Braden Shen, Luke Shen. Like, hey, it's three cups in a row that Shen has won uh, Stanley Cup. So great news for Vancouver, bringing Luke Shen back. Uh, Pick the stars, Jamie Dodd. We got to run here. Uh, we'll be back in just a bit here on Rintoul and Sermon. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. Welcome back to Rintoul and Sermon. Pick the and Jamie Dodd filling in for Scott and Karen this week. They'll be back soon. We're here in the meantime. Uh, and we're here with you. Thanks for making us part of your day. Been lively in the text message inboxes, 960, 960, and 650, 650. Uh, Jamie, what are the people saying? Yeah, here's one from Minor Matt in Abbotsford. And this is something I know you've been hitting this week, Beck. He says, am I the only one who thinks Eichel won't be traded by the start of the season and will subsequently sit out until he's jettisoned out of town? He's got a follow-up question there, too. Could you see the Columbus Blue Jackets using Kent Johnson as the centerpiece to an Eichel deal? I think Ken Johnson would be an interesting centerpiece to an Eichel deal. I'm not sure Columbus, given the other moves they've making, they've made this offseason, are looking to execute a deal like that just yet for a player like Eichel. But, yeah, I mean, he'd be an interesting piece in that package. But, you know, to your first question, Minor Matt, I don't see it lasting until the start of the season. I think teams that maybe didn't get what they wanted to get done in free agency are going to maybe get a little bit more serious in bidding for Eichel. And I do think we'll see a trade happen before the season, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Is it Beck? No. And I'm, I'm kind of buying into the idea that it's going to follow suit to similar to what we saw with like the Matt Duchesne trade. Cause I think, you know, for what you're talking about, Hey, you missed out in free agency. The thing is, if you really wanted Jack Eichel that bad, you would have got it done by the draft. Like Jack Eichel is better than anything that was available yeah. in free agency. You're not going to let, you know, Alex Wenberg dictate your decision on Jack Eichel. If you need and want Jack Eichel, you would just go get Jack Eichel. And so I think, you know, Buffalo's advantage in this scenario is fine. If you didn't want to pay the price to go get them, because remember they got cost certainty on this and, and club control on this. They're not under pressure to get, get rid of him prior to next off season. Cause he's going to be a UFA or something. They've got some term on this contract so they can run this down. And I, I don't think it serves Jack Eichel to hold out at all. But I think, you know, one of Buffalo's advantages here is play out the season. Like, go into the season. Fine. You think you think you have a team good enough to compete without Jack Eichel? Let's see you ice your roster and then see what happens. Right? And I think, you know, Matt Duchesne played a handful of games, I think it was a dozen, into that season. Yeah. And at some, at some point, someone's like, you know what? I got to just make this trade. He's available. He's disgruntled. He wants out of there. I can make this trade. And obviously it worked out very well for Colorado. And I think if you're Buffalo, you're following that plan. You're saying, and Jack Eichel's a superstar talent. He's going to come in here and he'll, uh, he'll put up points. He'll look good. And someone's going to so, sit there and say, boy, that is actually the missing piece we need. It, it's all academic right now to create a roster on paper and say, ah, you know, we'll be all right. We'll, we'll wait this out. And then, you know, for, for a team like Anaheim, for instance, you bring back Ryan Getzlaff. Okay, great. But Ryan Getzlaff is 36 years old. A little different and than Jack Eichel, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's just, it just looks a little bit off. And, and you might say, Adam Henrique and Ryan Getzlaff just isn't getting it done for us. And we might need to do something bigger to just 
our stands are empty right now. We need to revitalize our organization. Uh, that might be a moment where you'd say, let's just go do it 10 games into the season. But do you, do you think he's going to play for Buffalo, though, if it lasts into the regular season? I don't see that. I think he'll be sitting out. Doesn't holding out hurt his own value? Like, there's already questions of, you know, infighting, not infighting, but, like, you know, bucking against the trend of listening to to the, you know. The, but he the, can get, the medical he can staff. get, teams can get assurances about his health without him suiting up for the Sabres. I, I, I'm talking about perception, though, right? It's like, hey, you're not following the medical staff. That's already a, a fair question to ask. To say, and look, I get it's his body and all this sort of stuff, but teams have that team first mentality of do the things the way we want you to do them. He's the whole point of this argument has been about how he gets treated between how the team thinks he is and how he feels, what procedure he feels he needs to do. And if there's already questions between that, now you're holding out on top of this. What type of player am I actually getting? Like, I, I don't think it serves Jack Eichel at all to hold out. Man, but he doesn't want to suit up for Buffalo. Are you kidding me? He he hates that franchise. He's done. He wants out of there. I yeah, think. And, I, and, and Matthew I mean, Shane wanted out. And Matthew Shane had to do like you know we we all remember the 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 strange you know post game availabilities. Yeah. yeah. Like I just think you 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 go that route. It's uncomfortable, but like it's an uncomfortable situation. It's not about best the the thing you do to to to, to make uh, the best case scenario to make people feel uncomfortable to feel. Make people feel comfortable in an awkward situation. It's uncomfortable no matter what. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're right. I, I'd be surprised if he plays for Buffalo again, even if it does drag on into the season. I, I would be, I would expect him to sit out those games, but you never know. Jordan and Calgary text in. There's a tweet this morning saying Eichel is frustrated and he wants it done soon. I mean, that might be true. He doesn't have, he, he can't control that though, right? It's it's up to no. Buffalo to make the deal and to pull the trigger on a deal they know Eichel's frustrated they, that's baked in they they fully understand that what are they gonna do tick him off even more who cares right he's already gone but it, that's the frustrating thing for Jack Eichel is that he's already played all his cards basically that he can't do anything else to force Buffalo's hands here yeah he he's yeah he, he doesn't really have an option it, it's not as if he's you know, controlling the process. I, I don't even think he has a no move clause or, or anything like that. So he, he's not controlling the process. And, and when you're in a situation like that, for instance, okay, go look at the Houston Texans right now in training camp. They got Deshaun Watson playing like safety, throwing him passes out of the backfield, uh, making the play as running back in training camp right now. Why? Because he's a disgruntled superstar. And it's like, hey, if you're going to be here, you're going to be here an hour away and, and on our terms. Deshaun Watson has every reason to hold out, but it comes with fines and it comes with everything. But there, the, like, what what reason does Buff, does Houston or Buffalo have to cater to their best player outside of hey, let's just get rid of him because he's a problem? They don't want to take a discounted trade, so you you play every card to maximize your leverage. Yes, Buffalo should do that, but that doesn't mean that Eichel is going to report, right? Even if there's fines and all of that, I think he says, okay, I'll pay those fines rather than go out and and again, I mean. If you're Jack Eichel, you're already concerned about your health, right? You're already concerned about how the Buffalo Sabres have handled your health. Every time you step on the ice in an NHL game, you're taking a risk. Does he really want to take that risk and put his health on the line for the Buffalo Sabres after all of this? I'd be very, very surprised if he does that. 
Vic Nazar and Jamie Dodd here. We're filling in for Scott and Karen. So, uh, speaking of Deshaun Watson and other disgruntled quarterbacks, yesterday Aaron Rodgers uh, does a press conference, and he got a lot of praise for it. And, look, I'll be up front. I thought, like, that's what we want from athletes. Be honest, right? And, and I'm going to critique him in just a second. But, you know, we, we've always wanted athletes to be honest because, hey, it's interesting. It creates more talking points for us. But – you know, it, it, it's part of the job. It, it helps to endear athletes to us, to see their human side. And I thought Aaron Rodgers did a great job yesterday of being honest. But we can talk about what he actually said. And part of me, when I when I look back and I rewatched it, because we, cause we saw the quotes coming out yesterday as we were doing signing season. Yeah. It was too chaotic to hit, obviously. But one of the things that I always think about is, and and I grew up as, as a Manchester United fan, and you know the, the big ethos there was nobody is bigger than the club. We, we are a massive brand, and you can have a lot of success here, but nobody is ever bigger than the club, and we will sell players when they think, when we feel like they think they're bigger than the club. And so when I saw some of the quotes yesterday from Aaron Rodgers, it, it, it's not that he wasn't wrong. It's that he kind of put himself in a spot where it made him seem bigger than the club. Here's what he had to say about Green Bay kind of being a destination. We can all understand, you know, Green Bay isn't, uh, uh, you know, a huge vacation destination. People are coming here to play with me, uh, to play with our team, and, and knowing that they can win a championship here. So I hear that, and I think... Look, as the star, as leaders, you're meant to protect the brand, protect the shield. That's the NFL motto, protect the shield. In this case, in, in this scenario, protect the team. We all understand he's a superstar talent. We get it. But you shouldn't be saying, like, hey, they're all coming here to play with me. I get he says they're playing with a team and try to win a championship. Don't put yourself in the conversation. When you say that, to me, that's making yourself bigger than the team. And when you're already having this frosty relationship, when you've already, you know, there's this perception of, hey, he's kind of a guy that's prickly to deal with, that's saying the quiet part loud. And I know people are always going to be gravitated, you know, gravi- gravitate towards superstars. I- I'd be a little bit worried that he's saying that part. It's such an awkward situation in Green Bay. It reminds me of, like, this has never happened to me, but I know people it has happened to. You know, you're dating someone. And you're going to break up, but you have this vacation you've already booked and paid for coming up in like a month. You're like, well, we'll just go on the vacation together and then we'll break up. And it's miserable. Of course it's miserable because you know it's just a a charade. It's a sham. You're just doing it because you're kind of contractually obligated to do it. And that's what the situation is with Rodgers and Green Bay. It's like, okay, I'll come back and play for this year, but then we're definitely breaking up because we hate each other, right? That's the situation they're in. So... I guess in that context, I mean, what do you expect him to say? And it's a question of, do you value the truth more or do you value pretending the situation is different than it is, right? Because he's right. He's not wrong. People do come there to play with Aaron Rodgers more so than anything else to do with the Green Bay Packers. People do come there because they have a franchise quarterback who's an MVP caliber player in the NFL. And I guess it's just, if they wanted to, if they wanted to have an Aaron Rodgers who was going to be humble and, you know, as you say, protect the team, protect the brand, protect the logo. If they wanted an Aaron Rodgers, who's going to do all of those things. 
I mean, they shouldn't have let the relationship devolve to this point. I know it's a two-way street. I know Rodgers isn't blameless, but if you didn't want to have this type of Aaron Rodgers, you should have traded him because given the circumstances, given that everyone knows this is headed for a breakup, yeah, this is the Aaron Rodgers you're going to get. I will say, I, I do think it makes the Packers look worse too because, you know, for, for, for my mentality, for what I was talking about, like I, I don't care – who you are, if you think you're bigger than the brand or you think you're bigger than the organization, I'm sending you out. So this is a situation that the Packers have created. I get it. Yep. And Aaron Rodgers, I can understand, hey, if this is my last year, I don't want to spend a, a whole lot of allegiance to a team that's trying to, to move me out. I get it. And there is the element of, hey, we've always, always wanted to, to call out our bosses in public, right? And, and I, I'm sure that... Uh, I've never that, wanted to do that. Never, I, ever. But, but, but I'm sure like part of it, is like a lot of people watching that it resonated with them be like oh man that's awesome i've always wanted to do something like that with with little repercussion so i i get it from that point of view i just thought a little bit classless and to be honest i, I i'm still I, i'm still not convinced like what he's really complaining about because you know for all the things that he's talking about like he's had it pretty good they've had back-to-back 13 win seasons they changed head coaches when it went wrong. They had a 6-9-1 season, and Mike McCarthy deserved to go. The year before, they didn't win a lot of games, but he was hurt. Generally speaking, the Green Bay Packers have been very successful, winning 10, 12, 13 games routinely, and they've lost a lot in, uh, obviously, the playoffs. But I would look at what how good you know Aaron Rodgers has had it. It just sounded like a guy he wants to play with his friends. It, like, is he devoid of talent around him? Not really. He, he, here's what Aaron had to say about, you know, kind of learning from the mistakes Green Bay has made. I wanted to help the organization maybe learn from them some of the mistakes in the past, in my opinion, about the way that some of the uh, outgoing veterans were treated um, and just the fact that we didn't retain uh, a number of uh, players that I felt like were core players to our foundation, our locker room, high character guys. I'm talking about Charles Woodson, Jordy Nelson, Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb, James Jones, um, John Kuhn, Brett Good, TJ Lang, Brian Balaga, Casey Hayward, Micah Hyde, guys who were you know, exceptional players for us, but great locker room guys, high character guys. Many of them who weren't offered a contract at all or were extremely low-balled, or were, you know, maybe in my opinion, not uh, given the respect on the way out that guys of their status and stature and high character deserved. So we mentioned that, and you, you look at the list of names, and they you know reacquire Randall Cobb to appease Aaron Rodgers, and I think a lot of those guys didn't age well. A lot of those yep. guys didn't have success. So if you want you know, the, your guys, your friends just stick around, you wouldn't have had the success you've had. You wouldn't be winning 13 games. Uh, like, I, I'm, not, I'm still not sure what Aaron Rodgers' uh, goal is here in solving all of this. I, I, okay, here's the thing. And we see this across professional sports, right? Is that the athletes, they value established guys for longer than front offices and fans do, right? And, I mean, you could even point to an example of 
you know, the Sedin twins join the Vancouver front office and they vouch for Oliver Ekman Larson, right? Because he's a guy they know, they played against him, he's established, even though you can see a lot of indications that his level of play has declined, right? I think that's just a phenomenon across sports. You know, the guy you've been to war with, you're always going to prefer that as an athlete versus somebody new coming in. So I cut Rogers some slack there. But, you know, your overall point is correct. It's not clear exactly what the root of the problem is. I mean, I guess it's easy to say outside of Devontae Adams, their receivers suck and they don't invest draft capital in receivers. Like, Is that it? But is that enough of an issue to justify everything we've seen play out between the two sides? Uh, 960-960. Wow, I always thought Rodgers was a jerk, but wow, it takes it to another level. You'd never hear the GOAT Brady saying that. Never hear Manning saying that. Never hear... Uh, Crosby say that that's not what leaders do and it's interesting is, is that leadership or is that him saying you know kind of advocating for his talent because the reason so, people like the reason people would want to play in Green Bay is because of his talent is that necessarily his leadership bearing well out? no and, and again I mean it's no one I, nobody should be expecting Aaron Rodgers to be this great selfless leader this year and whether you want to criticize him for that or not that's fair but it just just look at the circumstances that was never what Green Bay was going to get out of Aaron Rodgers this year. They were always going to get what we're already seeing unfold here. And I will say, the texter's point, I I, I hear what he's saying, but he says uh, you would never hear Peyton Manning say that. Look, I was a huge Peyton Manning fan. I could see him saying something like that. Uh, Peyton Manning had an ego, for sure. Well, Monty Ball put out a funny tweet. Uh, obviously, former, uh, uh, former Denver Broncos running back and, and played – with uh, with Peyton, he says the the Aaron Rodgers stuff is wild. Peyton was subbing players in and out of offense during games, ignoring the headset in his helmet, and still throwing for fifty touchdowns. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's, like that's kind of the point. Like they surrounded Peyton with talent, and he made it work. Aaron Rodgers has got an all-star offensive line in front of him that, that does a great job keeping him clean and protecting him. He's got some pretty good weapons. He's got Aaron Jones behind him, and. Uh, and, and and, and yeah, they could have used one or two more, and they they maybe should have maximized that Jordan Love pick and whatnot. But like he's got a pretty good he's got a pretty good. Well, and your your point about the offensive line is really important. I mean, how many quarterbacks would kill to have the consistency and the excellence that they've had on the O line in Green Bay? So that that's a very good point. Uh, Gurjeet texts in, Bick, Rodgers is telling the truth. Look at Brady. All those players went to Tampa because of Tom, not because they want to be Buccaneers. LOL. And I guess your rebuttal would be, yeah, but Brady didn't say that. He didn't come yeah, out and look, say it. He just I, it, It's just implied. Everyone knows it. But he didn't come out and make a big deal about it. There is a big difference between the message and the perception of the message. I'm not denying Aaron Rodgers wasn't being honest. And I think it's awesome that he was being honest. And, and, and we should want players to, to say these things. But you got to understand, hey, when you put this out into the, the public atmosphere, there is a difference between how it is presented and how it is perceived. And I look at this and I think as much as he wants to tell his version of the truth, and he did a great job of laying out all the details, the reaction to it can still be varied. And I look at that and I think like he, he kind of threw some guys on the team under the bus. It's like, hey, we really want a good slot receiver. So here I am uh, going back to, to bring back a guy in Randall Cobb who, hey, by the way, like, like Randall Cobb's 30 years old now. Yes, uh, he's gonna, and he's, he's, he's going to be he's turning 31, yeah. and he's on a big contract. And the other part of the contract is if you want to bring some of those guys back, 
well, you wouldn't have been able to retain everyone because some of those guys got big deals. Like TJ Lang got a decent deal in Detroit. Like some of these guys moved on because they got paid elsewhere. And at some point, because of the salary cap, you can't retain everyone. Uh, that's what Aaron Rodgers was saying. We're a little bit late on it, but we'll do it right now. Uh, here's what they're saying. Vancouver Canucks were quite busy yesterday spending uh, money and bringing in a lot of contracts and managed to bring in a lot of right-handers. Uh, Jim Benning, here's what he's saying. Well, it's it even seems harder to find right-shot defensemen these days. Like, you know, right-shot D-men and even – you know, right shooting, right wingers. Like, it, it, if you go through the teams, there's, for whatever reason, and I don't know why this happens, but, you know, to try to find right shot forwards right now, it seems tough. So, um, you know, we were happy to – we had Brock Besser as our only right shooting, you know, forward, and then uh, and then getting Connor, Connor Garland uh, in the trade that shoots right, and then uh, re-signing Sutter, who's a right shot. Now we got – you know, some flexibility for Sutter on faceoffs and our own end for Travis, where you know he can you know put out a right shot center on faceoffs and and with Besser and Garland right shooting players for the power play. So, and you know, same with defense. It seems like for whatever reason now it's hard to find you know right shooting defensemen. So that was something that we looked at and we tried to add some guys uh, today and over the course of the last couple of weeks. It's Jim Benning when he joined the People Show on Sportsnet 650 yesterday. Finding righties difficult in this landscape. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, there weren't a lot of them out there. We we did see the one deal get done today. Uh, Yanni Hackamha going to mm-hmm. Dallas. I think we leave three years, so still a pretty hefty amount of term. Three years, only one point five million. I know that as a player, I was interested in for the Canucks. I know a lot of Canucks fans were interested in. You know, comes in lower lower salary, lesser term than Tucker Pullman, maybe not as much upside. It did sound like he was pretty keen on going to Dallas. There was a lot of people interested in his services, but because of the other Finnish players in Dallas, that might have uh, swayed his opinion. So maybe not even an option in the end for the Canucks anyways, which is always the case of free agency, right? You can look at the big list of free agents, uh, you know, days before the market opens, but guess what? Not all of them want to come play for you. Uh, busy on the blue line yesterday uh, in Western Canada. Bradtree living on uh, what Nikita Zadorov brings to the lineup. Well, obviously we've known about Nikita for a long time and, and followed him and competed against him. And, you know, over the course of the last month or so, a couple of months, you know, I had lots of conversations with Stan. Uh, we had some, you know, we had some different thoughts and, and you know, different if deals framed even going into the expansion draft. Okay. Um, you know, so so the conversation has been going on for some time. You're always, you know, and then as we got closer to today and as you got into today and looking at what other opportunities may be available to us, um, you've seen some defensemen move in the marketplace over the course of the last week or so. Um, and, you know, this is this is a move we felt helped strengthen us. Uh, you know, we obviously we've 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 lost Mark Giordano, and and nobody's you know no nobody's going to sit here and say that Nikita Zadorov's coming in to replace Mark Giordano. We're going to have to do it by committee, but we think what Nikita does is he gives us an element. Um, you know, he gives us a different element than we have in our blue line. You know, he's a big body, can move. Um, as you said, still a young player um, with that type of experience in the league, um, and I still think he's you know. 
there's still upside with him. There's still evolution and, and uh, uh, growth in his game, but he's he's a he's a unique unique defenseman in the league. Uh, he's six six, two hundred and thirty five pounds. He's got a physical presence to him. Um, so we think that combination of mobility, um, size, range, ability to move pucks. Uh, we think that gives us a, a, a different look and a, and, a, and a good quality and a good addition to our defensive court. That is uh, Brian True Living on Big Show on 960 yesterday, just uh, talking about the abilities that uh, Nikita Zadorov brings to Calgary. And, and like we were talking earlier, uh, the fit makes a lot of sense for what Calgary seems like they want to build out. Yeah, exactly. And you heard him say in that clip, you know, look, we're not we're not under any illusions that he's going to replace Mark Giordano. Nobody, no one player is up to that task, given everything he's meant to that team. But yeah, they needed to bring in guys. They needed to bring in a very specific type of guy that Daryl Sutter is going to be excited about. It sounds like they've got one there. Uh, well, some breaking news here. St. Louis Blues agreeing to a five-year contract with Brandon Saad. We'll get more details on this on the other side of the break. And we'll talk to Frank Saravelli coming up here on Rintoul and Sermon. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. Welcome back. Nick Nazar and Jamie Dodd filling in for Scott and Karen this week. Appreciate you making this part of your day. Keep the thoughts coming in. 960, 960. Or six fifty, six fifty. Uh, Jamie, I don't know how you spend your uh, commercial breaks, getting water, getting a snack, or something like that. Uh, my mind was just broken by a, a video on TikTok. Uh, what was loading. it? Was it the was it the Pez yeah. dispenser? Yeah, yeah, and that then, just came across my feed too. Yeah, and, and as soon as I started researching it, it was it was hella fake. Um, but, but but just like my mind, like I wish I could take everyone through the range of emotions I just went through in what five six minutes. My whole childhood just flashed before my eyes. So there's a video on TikTok. It's going viral on Twitter right now. It's uh, loading the Pez dispenser, which we all know. It's absolutely hell to do so. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember the last time you had a Pez or something like that. I feel like it's recently, been a while. I, I feel like it was like two years ago for me. Wow. Um, it's, it's all right. I, I enjoy them. Didn't it's know you were such a Pez head. It's great, man. With the get like Tom and Jerry on them or something like that. It's awesome. <laughs> So, okay. so this video, they they open up the dispenser and they load in the candy with the wrapper from underneath and then push down and all the candy's somehow in there and the wrapper comes undone. Yeah, it stays in and the wrapper comes out. And like, I lost my mind. I had to mute my mic and be like, what is happening? My whole childhood has been a lie. And uh, sure enough, uh, it was fake. See, well, first of all, kudos to you for doing the research. Um, no, and, not kudos to me because I retweeted it like a moron. Oh, you idiot, Ben! And I, I deleted it right away. I was, I, I quote tweeted it even worse. I was like spreading lies. The thing I learned from this exchange though is that Pez plays a much more central role in your life than it does with mine. <laughs> like I saw it, I was like, oh, that's interesting, and then just kept scrolling. I, I did not think twice about it. Pez candy is underrated, man. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. The dispensers are fun. The candy itself is eh, whatever. Okay, is is the candy better than Kinder Surprise chocolate? Because nobody wants Kinder Surprise for the chocolate. We do it for the, the yes, toy. Yes, for the toy. I would and, put them at the same like, level, right? The no- it's you. all about the novelty factor. Yeah, and I agree with you. Like the pe- the, the the benefit of the Pez dispensers is is the dispenser themselves, not the candy. But I do think the candies yes. 
get a bit overlooked. No, they're they're accurately rated. That's how I would describe them. They're not trash or anything like that, but no, you're in it. You're in it for the dispenser. Let's not pretend otherwise. There's a reason nobody eats them outside of the dispenser. There's no point. You just get a better candy. Ah, I can't argue that. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> ah! Chalk one up for me. But still, I still like the candy. <laughs> I, but, but it's true. Like, you wouldn't have a bowl of just Pez dispenser. No, you would never put Although, out a bowl of Pez. Okay, what's the, the, the candy? Uh... Like the one we always get at Halloween, uh, like Rockets? Yeah, I, I like Rockets more than Pez. But like how how different are they? Uh, they're not that different, but Rockets Once, are better. Yeah, like, yeah, they're softer. They're a bit softer. Yeah. Pez is a bit more crunchier. Uh, Rager's mad at me. Uh, Kinder, oh, a lot of people are mad at me. Kinder Surprise Chocolate is amazing. I'm just saying, it's not a, like a first overall chocolate. No, and and again, oh, so we, we have a we have got somebody text in here. The chocolate is the best part. The toys are awful. The toy is awful, but it's the novelty of getting a toy yes. in a chocolate. It, it's not you immediately throw the toy out or whatever. You play with it once, but it, it's just it. Your brain tricks you into thinking it's really cool. It's like Cracker Jacks, right? If yeah. you wanted that. Oh, man, people are really mad. All right, we're going to stop the chocolate talk. We'll come back to it. We'll talk to Frank Saravelli uh, in the here now from NHL Insider from Daily Faceoff. You also saw him uh, on TV yesterday, part of signing season on a Sportsnet. Frank, thanks a lot for giving some time. Uh, how hectic was uh, yesterday and today? It's actually been the last week, guys. I-, I was just taking an inventory this morning of sort of all that's gone down, all those trades on draft day on Friday. And then a couple more since then, and then you add in some of the craziness of the dollars that were doled out yesterday, you know, approaching $800 million. You know, we were saying in this flat cap world last mm-hmm. off season, just how much things had changed. And the funny thing about all this happening is that it's really sort of a one-off because there's new money in the system with Seattle coming in a fresh $81.5 million that are out there. And it's going to be fascinating to see the adjustments that take place next summer as well. Frank, there was so much money committed yesterday. Is there one deal that jumps out to you that, you know, maybe you're a little surprised that a player got that much term, that much money, just one deal that really stood out, you know, amid all of the big money handed out that made you raise your eyebrows a little bit? Um, you know, I, I there was a couple, actually, Um the the Tucker Pullman one did surprise me a little bit. I, I thought that Tucker Pullman might be in line to get a raise, but to get that kind of term, I think that was really good work, um, you know, by his agency. And, you know, look, this is a big guy that uh, really plays a steady game, but the a- offensive production isn't there. It's not even close. And so to see him get uh, that kind of term, $10 million total, I think was a bit of a surprise that, you know, I'm still a little bit, I still have some sticker shock on the two guys from Tampa in Barkley Goodrow at six times 3.65 in New York. And then uh, Blake Coleman, of course, going to Calgary uh, six times 4.9. I mean, those are really significant numbers uh, that you definitely would not have seen passed out to players of their ilk uh, last off season, and and I'd imagine, given what we know, as I was saying about next off season, that you probably wouldn't see it again either. 
So on Pullman, Jim Benning, uh, when asked yesterday about, you know, the competition to sign him, he mentioned 12 teams were kind of in on it. And it feels like it's repeating a habit for Jim Benning of, you know, giving that extra year, giving that little extra incentive to to make sure you get your guy rather than kind of just saying, here's equal offers, make your decision. In your mind, how much competition was there for Pullman? And and obviously the four-year surprised you, but was Jim Benning forced to give up the fourth year? Maybe I don't know. I don't. I I wasn't party to the negotiations, but you know, there's two two schools of thought on that. It's like if you put out the offer that you think is fair and it's equal, uh, and and you have you know you leave it up to the player to pick. Well, in that case, you know, at the end of the day, you could end up back with nothing. You know, you come back with you know some team that's willing to beat your offer out there, whether it's years, a couple extra bucks, whether it's playing position. Um, potential ice time, all those things, they all go into it. So I think, you know, with the Canucks, it was all about where they were last year, the way they went into last season with their blue line, making some bets on some younger players that would be ready and able to step up. Of course, we know now that that didn't work out. Those bets did not pay off and they needed to reevaluate their, their circumstance on their blue line. You know, I, I don't think, Depth-wise, you can argue that the Canucks aren't a significantly better team now than they were a week ago when you factor in ekman Larson. Um, but apparently, um, you know, when you're looking at this, you know, it, it's, it, it's to me it's about building and getting as – I think that's really the lesson, guys, from Tampa, is when you're building a team, it's not just about the top-end talent. You need that. But it's as many talented players that you can get in your lineup to fill out your positions that makes a difference. I don't think we'll ever see a team as deep as Tampa was. There's lots of teams that have top-flight talent that haven't been able to fill out the rest of their group. You know, Toronto comes to mind just as an example. Edmonton isn't all that different. But if you see the steps that Edmonton took, it's really not all that dissimilar than what the Vancouver Canucks did. And in fact, you know, Ekman Larson and that contract aside, which they didn't sign him to, only traded for, the Oilers spent quite a bit of money on their blue line as well. Frank, you know, with most of the high-profile targets in free agency off the market now, a lot of the attention is going to turn to the trade market. Obviously, the number one name there is Jack Eichel. What's your sense of where things stand with Jack Eichel trade talks right now? And what kind of timeline could we be looking on, uh, looking at here before an Eichel deal gets completed? Your guess is as good as mine. I think it was pretty quiet on the Jack Eichel front over the last number of days. I think the Buffalo Sabres, of course, were hoping that there was more action. And that's not to say that, you know, that can't materialize here or in the next day or so. But I think teams... You know, you you look at a statement like the Los Angeles Kings make. They go out and they spend big money on the center position with Philip Deneau. You know, they've now got Andre Kopitar. They've got Deneau down the middle, and he can take a lot of heat off of Kopitar with some of those defensive assignments. Kopitar won't be nearly as worn down. There's not really any room there for a Jack Eichel at $10 million to slot into that team. So, you know, they make a statement that they're moving on. I, I thought it was, you know, particularly interesting that the Anaheim Ducks were pretty quiet and free agency. Not that, you know, we'd expect a rebuilding team to um, 
to really spend a lot of money in free agency, but they did next to nothing other than bring back 36-year-old Ryan Getzlaff. Are they a team that could still be in the mix? The Boston Bruins are probably out. The New York Rangers were pretty quiet. I still think they could be a fit. But I, I think the number of teams that are willing to spend it, to get a guy like Jack Eichel is, is dwindling. And so, um, you know, time is of the essence. If you don't want Jack Eichel to come back in – late September to training camp and for it to be a circus, you know, you've got to really put the pedal to the metal now and get something done. Which team is it most awkward for uh, with their returning, potentially returning star? We got Buffalo with Eichel, St. Louis with Tarasenko, Washington with Kuznetsov. Like are, 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 are is each team waiting for the domino to fall of one of them to, to facilitate the next move? Well, if I were to rank them from least awkward to most awkward, it's Kuznetsov back to Washington. I think they're just tired of, you know, some of his off-ice antics and are hoping that he changes because I do think they like the player, even though he's been inconsistent. In St. Louis, it is irretrievably broken. I mean, look, what Vladimir Tarasenko went through with two bot surgeries and then um, you know, being exposed in the expansion draft, providing, you know, letting the Blues know that he's willing to go next to anywhere uh, and his no trade clause won't get in the way. Uh, that's obviously pretty awkward. And the Blues and their GM, Doug Armstrong, said that, you know, he can foresee Vladimir Tarasenko playing as a Blue next season. But, uh, I mean, really, what else is he supposed to say? And then by far the most awkward and, and difficult circumstances, Jack Eichel. I mean, the frustration is clear. When you get to a point where you don't think that the team has your best interests medically in mind, um, that really is probably the tip of the iceberg in terms of, you know, a frayed relationship. You can talk about the GMs that have been there, the head coaches, all the change all the losses, everything that's piled up, including the tension and pressure on Jack Eichel to be the guy, I, I just don't know how it works itself out. Obviously, he's going to have to show up at a certain point if, if that does come to pass and, and collect uh, practice and play and collect the, the money that he's owed. But, geez, it is, uh, it's difficult to see Jack Eichel wearing a Sabres uniform again. And on Vladimir Tarasenko, Frank, you know, you call that that relationship ir- irreconcilably broken between or irrevocably broken between him and the St. Louis Blues. I mean, given, you know, the talent that we all know Tarasenko has and that he's shown in the league, but also the questions about his health. Do you have a sense of which teams might be interested in going out and acquiring Tarasenko and also of what kind of return in this situation St. Louis can expect for him? Well, that I think that's the difficult part for St. Louis is if they're willing to retain some money, I think the list of teams goes way up, but that kind of defeats the purpose, does it not? If you're St. Louis and you're trying to generate as much cap space as possible, I mean, they've seen their options sort of tick away. You see they signed Brandon Saad this afternoon, five years times four and a half million, but a guy like Mike Hoffman that they had interest in, he moves on. And so they're a team that is going to need to replace a lot of goals. If Tarasenko is gone, Schwartz is in Seattle, um, you know, Tyler Bozak unlikely to be returning. Those are all, um, you know, the goals pile up there in, in short order and Saad can only replace, you know, a limited number of them. So, um, you know, which teams to answer your question would be interested. I, I think the list has changed because there was talk about Carolina being interested. And I think part of that is a bit of a misnomer. I, 
I don't think Carolina is interested since I checked in on that one. The Los Angeles Kings, again, they spent some money um, on on Wednesday. And so, you know, they also re-signed Alex Iafalo last year. He's going to play a pretty prominent role. Um, you know, they're a team that, you know, is it possible? Yes. Um, you know, does Tarasenko, does he work out in another spot? Does, does, is there any chance that a team like the New York Rangers makes any sense? Uh, you know, I, I honestly, I think the list is somewhat limited in terms of uh, teams that can really take on Tarasenko at the full cap hit and that would have interest in doing it. Frank Saravelli joining us from dailyfaceoff.com. Uh, so you put out a trade targets uh, column today and Johnny Goudreau and Sean Monahan were on it. And I, I'm just curious, like, uh, I actually kind of liked what uh, Calgary did yesterday to fit their identity. Now, obviously, the term for Coleman, a bit concerning. But I thought they're building something to that makes sense of the way Daryl Sutter wants to play hockey. And what does that mean now for Goudreau and Monaghan? Do you expect them to get moved, or is it trying to sort out uh, an extension with Goudreau and maybe come, uh, come back with Monaghan? You know, um, it's really fluid in Calgary. And it got a little bit more interesting yesterday when his contract kicked into the final year because uh, Johnny Goudreau suddenly got a lot more control in the process. And and this really is sort of, you know, it, it's rip the Band-Aid off or not summer for the Flames with Johnny Gaudreau, I think. Because, you know, given the increased power that he has now, there's no trade list. I believe, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it's five teams now that he can accept a trade to. That kicks in uh, for the first time. And so um, the other part of it is, are we signing this guy to an extension or are we not? Now, the, the thought out there is that Johnny Gaudreau, after a few you know, 90-plus point seasons, really wants to be taken care of. He wants to get paid. And so I, I do think that negotiations and discussions, at least on a very preliminary basis, have begun between the Gaudreau camp and the Flames, at least to set the table. Um, you know, I don't know that progress has been made on that front, but I think the Flames would like to get some clarity here in the next phase um, about what it might cost, and and then they'll go from there. If it's something that they think they can afford, then maybe it's an avenue to to re-sign him. He did say in his you know sort of end of season press conference that he's willing to come back and sign an extension. Uh, we'll see whether the Flames are willing to pay, and then on the Monahan front, like. I think that's a guy that has significant value around the league. I know the Flames that personally had included him in trade talks last off season. Um, but when you look at his contract, two years left at six, three, seven, five, um, you know, that's significant value for a guy that when he's on, you know, he's an easy 30, 30 guy most years. And so the production has dipped. But I do think there's value in that contract and the Flames would have no issue moving him and getting value in return, given that you'd have two playoff runs with Sean Monaghan. The question is, what are the Flames getting back and are they actually making their team any better? Because the mandate there is, is to go out and win. Frank, looking at your, your list of top trade targets up on dailyfaceoff.com right now, it's been updated as we've seen trades come in, but one of the names that jumps out to me is Josh Manson, right shot defenseman for the Anaheim Ducks. And and I just look at it, I know there are questions about his health there, but when you look at the premium teams were willing to pay in free agency for right shot defensemen, and you mentioned it with a guy like Tucker Pullman, but we saw it around the league, 
I mean, for a player like Manson, doesn't have a big salary attached, doesn't have any term attached, that seems like a situation to me where, you know, the Ducks could do very, very well if they decided to move Manson. Yeah, and that's the thing is, but are, you come back to the same question I was just asking about Calgary. If you move him, are you actually making your team any better? Are you prolonging the rebuild? There are significant questions about his health. A lot of teams think that he has not been nearly the same player since he's dealt with the concussion issues. You saw last year uh, in Anaheim, his minutes were way down, down almost two and a half minutes from his previous year um, and, and almost five, four or five minutes from two years before that. Um, but the value, even with the injury status and, and the, uh, the uncertainty, 4.1 million, like take whatever Rasmus Ristolainen uh, cost the Philadelphia Flyers and probably put that on steroids a little bit. And I think the Flyers were actually one of those teams that were interested in Josh Manson. Um, but, you know, when they saw and heard the price, the pivot was to go to Ristolainen and, and spend less, even though that was still a considerable amount. So I do think that there would be lots of interest um, and the price would be significant. It's just, you know, after free agency now, too, how many teams are willing to step up and pay that price? That's the other question you have to ask. Frank Saravelli from DailyFaceoff.com. Actually, before we let you go, Frank, uh, any update you think on Elias Pettersson's contract when that might uh, get finalized? Uh, no update to this point. I think the two sides continue to grind away. Um, you know, obviously there was talk and fear out there about an offer sheet for Pettersson. Uh, I think there was you know, more smoke and less fire to that. But, um, you know, certainly, you know, I don't think they're going to have any issue getting that done when it's all said and done. Thank you very much. It is Frank Cervelli from dailyfaceoff.com. Frank, take care. Thank you, guys. Have a great summer. That is uh, Frank Saravelli, obviously. If uh, you're not uh, following him already, uh, do so, at Frank underscore Saravelli on Twitter. Uh, Some interesting stuff there. And, uh, you know, the the timelines of those big three trades of of guys that are uh, disgruntled, uh, to me, is going to be really fascinating. Because I do think they impact each other a little bit as far as, you know, okay, there's two centers. What's the market for teams that are looking for that style of player? And if you miss out on one, are you willing to pay more? Uh, for instance, if you miss out on Kuznetsov, are you willing to pay more now for Jack Eichel? It does seem, though, given his pedigree and his upside, his talent, that Eichel is in a different category than Tarasenko and 100%. Kuznetsov, right? Yeah. So yeah, there there is some impact and domino effect, but the teams that are... If anything, I could see it going the other way, right? Where if you're bidding on Eichel and you don't get him, then maybe you turn your attention to Kuznetsov, right? Hundred percent. The texts keep rolling in on our uh, candy thoughts. Uh, People are not uh, thrilled with my thoughts on uh, Kinder Surprise, uh, the chocolate at least. And and this one from Buddy in Surrey. As a guy with kids, Kinder Egg Chocolate is a thousand percent better when I was a kid. Yeah, I I just don't think it's gotten better. That's fair. No, I I mean, what's what's their impetus to get better? They make a killing every year. Why why improve? They're 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 doing very well for themselves, I assume. Uh, unsigned uh, text message into the 960-960 inbox. Kinder is all about the surprise. I give the chocolate away and uh, have a big kid minute. 100%. It's all it's all about yeah. the surprise. It's like, did you ever do uh, at Christmas or Thanksgiving or anything? You know, they're, I think they're called 
uh, crackers and they're like those little rolls yeah, 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 kind yeah. of a paper. You pull them apart and there's a little toy or novelty inside. You put them there's on the, the plate. Exact same thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. And you pull it apart and there's some stupid game or a, or a riddle or a joke in there. And it's always garbage. You would never be excited for it in any other context except because it's a tradition, right? And it gives you just that that little jolt of happiness. Uh, okay, so Minor Matt and me, uh, we, we tend to argue a lot in the text message inbox. Uh, but Minor Matt came up here with a, a great text. The best candy is Werther's Original. Now, I don't think it's the best. But That's a wild you, one. Ha, but hey, look, in Minor Matt's defense here, have you ever been disappointed when you've had a Werther's Original? No, because my expectations are very low. I mean, that's part of the equation here. But that doesn't make it the best. It's Meeting an extremely bad. low bar it, doesn't qualify you as the best candy. But it is so consistent. You, you know what you're getting every single time. You, you leave hold with a on, smile hold on, on your hold face. On. You were getting on me for setting expectations too low for the Canucks because I said they should try to finish second in the division. And now you're telling me it's fine to just say, oh, yeah, just have incredibly <laughs> low expectations about Werther's Originals. Come on. Are, are, are the Canucks your guilty pleasure? No, you invest a I mean, lot of time and effort to it. Werther's original is a fleeting moment. You pass by a bowl, you pick it up, and you pop it in. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is great. Great is is stretching it, stretching it a lot there. It, it's solid. Great text from Minor Matt. Keep the solid. Text it's solid, yeah. 650, 650. Uh, is Minor Matt a grandpa? <laughs> People ripping Matt in the inbox. Keep the text going in here. Uh, 650, 960, 960 as well. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. Rintoul and Servant. 